Hey guys, this is Jamie from Stories, the True and the Fictional. Just want to let you know that we had a bit of a technical issue towards the end of this episode and we did miss the end of it, but we are posting what we're talking about in the show notes so you can go and have a sticky beak for yourself. It's a real funny article and um, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Stories, the True and the Fictional. We are a brand new podcast that dives into the stories of people's lives. Everyday people like you and me, or even famous people throughout history. We will even tackle the fictional from time to time too. But we also want to get you, the listener, involved. We want to hear your stories. Things that may have happened to you, a friend, a family member, or even a random neighbour of yours. Something funny, something random, something awkward. Let's just... Try and avoid the sad stuff, shall we? Send your stories to thetrueandthefictional at gmail.com. Send it in writing, an audio clip, or even request to come on the show. Just make sure it's actually true, because that's what makes a story so interesting. Until we have a nice collection of stories from you, the listener, we're going to dive into some of the entertaining true stories from modern history and beyond. So strap in, especially if you're driving. It's story time. So before we crack into today's episode, I um, there's there's a bit of a story I want to get off my chest. We had a um, episode a few few back ago about the strange colleagues. Yes. You know the um. Ah. Uh, yeah. Was it was it propaganda? Was it not real? No, 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 no. That, that, that was that was real. This just something happened at work. Kept happening at work this week. And, okay. Um, there's this guy. I won't name him, even though he'll never listen to this. Um, now that you've said that, he will. I really doubt it. He has this work habit. Well, no, this lunchtime habit, which just drives everyone insane. He, we basically we've got a drive-through where people they pay up at a shop and then drive down yeah. to pick up what you know the bags and and all or what the paycheck that basically purchased mm-hmm. and he has a habit of looking around for a place to have his lunch and then so he'll just sit on the most comfortable and all, some of the bags are soft you know so fair, <laughs> fair enough but he sits down on these bags takes his shoes off I mean Custer's drive past you know drive past, what's that guy there? he's got his shoes off he's relaxed like a like a Roman you know <laughs> um but he always sits on the most popular products. <laughs> so if he worked at, if he worked in the supermarket, it'd be the equivalent of him sitting in the milk shed, like oh, the, on the milk shelf, or you know, you know like like the. And yeah, what was one time they drove, someone drove down and went, "I want two bags," and the rest of them were up on pallets, like so you had to get a forklift. Yeah, but he's sitting on two, and this guy goes, "I need two bags," and this guy's like, "Oh." And I was like, why do you sit on the popular products? And it just... It just, it just drives me insane. It drives everyone <laughs> insane. Because initially he used to sit in the lunchroom, but then he used to take his shoes and socks off and trim his toenails while everyone's eating wow. lunch. Okay. So you can understand why he ended up in the, yeah, the bag like, shed. Oh, God. <laughs> but yes, <sighs> Richie, if you're listening, stop it. <laughs> there you go. I gave away his own identity. Um... Oh yeah, so look, we do a lot of 
we, we plan to do a lot of callbacks to episodes and that. So if you guys have had stories of crazy work people or, or just anything really, just send them to the true and the fictional at gmail.com and we'll happy to read them out on the show. Yeah. Now, to today's topic, I found this New York Times article basically said here's a whole lot of um, stuff from the 1800s, early 1900s that were actually published in the newspaper. And um, I'm guessing they're true stories. If not, let us know. But um, but we're covered. True and the yeah, fictional. That's right. Correct. <clears throat> um, okay, so look, this first one was published in February 7th, 1904, titled Couldn't Lose Dead Cat. Commuter carried victim and guilty secret to New York. So in East Orange, New Jersey, I'm guessing that's what NJ stands for. Yes, um, it does. A New York businessman who lives in East Orange and is something of a pigeon fancier recently lost several of his finest birds through the depredations of vagrant cats. A few days ago, the losses became so heavy that he armed himself with a gun and lay in ambush one afternoon when he returned from the city. After a wait, he saw a lean cat emerge from the coat with one of his finest pigeons in its mouth. He fired, and the cat fell dead. In the early transports of his joy at having destroyed the feast, he forgot that there was yet a task to perform, but soon recollected that, well, he must dispose of the body. First he thought of digging a hole in the backyard and in, interring the cat therein. But then he trembled when he thought what the neighbours might think if he was burying something. <laughs> At last, a bright idea struck him. I'll wrap it in the... I'll wrap the cat in papers and throw it off the ferry boat when I cross in the morning. So with the bundle neatly tied, he took the train on the following morning. He got off the train and boarded the boat. There he was greeted with a group of friends from whom he could not escape. He reflected that he might have to make embarrassing explanations if he threw the bundle overboard while he was with them. And he deferred the act until the boat landed, thinking he could easily cast it away in an ash barrel on the way to the office. He passed several ash barrels on his way, but somehow somehow or other, someone was always seemed to be gazing in his direction when he approached one. And once or twice, he saw a watchful policeman... He recollected how unpleasant discoveries had been made in ash barrels, and he didn't want to be arrested in suspicion. So he went all the way to the office and carefully locked the body in a closet, <laughs> reflecting he could throw it overboard on his way home. Going across the river that night, he met some more sociable acquaintances, and <laughs> the cat boarded the train with him as a result. He laid the package down beside him and tried to become absorbed in his paper. But that everlasting cat haunted him. When he reached his station, he picked up the package and went home. Reaching there, he handled the bundle to the cook, and as indifferently as he could, told her to bury the cat in the backyard. Yes, sir, said the woman. There were a few minutes of relief for the East Orangeite, but soon the cook reappeared. I guess there's some kind of mistake, sir. This isn't a cat. It's a nice leg of mutton. (laughs) The man had evidently picked up the wrong bundle on leaving the train, and he only hopes the other fellow who reached home with the dead cat doesn't learn his identity. Wow. 
I mean, if there was ever a time for Kirby enthusiasm. Yeah. But let's go back to the main question. What the hell is a pigeon fancier? Well, someone Sounds... who fancies pigeons. I'm, I'm going to guess it's someone who houses pigeons. Let's put it in text in um, context that you'd know or know what manner that you would know. You know the Spider-Man game on PS4. Yes, where you got to ah, cap- okay. capture the yeah. pigeons. Um, yeah, so I'm going to guess that he really either loves pigeons or he homes pigeons. Wow, I mean to go to all that trouble with a cat. Yeah, to, to get. Why didn't he just say to his friend, "Excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. Walk around the other side of the ship. <laughs> Off it goes." Problem solved. But then he ended up with a nice leg of mutton. So See, we have we have hindsight. Yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I want to know if the people that got the big cat went, oh well, and skinned it and ate it. Well, it was the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Weird people do weird things back then. But that really? that was just funny. Wow, it's just it's like a comedy of errors. Yeah, it's just and and wouldn't wouldn't the smell bothering? Probably, but um, wrapped in newspaper, maybe you put something else in there to make it... Some lemon or lime or yeah. something like that. Like John Wayne Gacy used to put whole bunches of lime under his under the porch where he buried all the boys he killed and murdered. Charming. And, yeah. Um, so. Happy podcast, mate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this isn't happy for okay, the cat ha- lovers. I get it. Sorry, sorry. Happy podcast. Like John <laughs> Wayne Gacy when he, when he put the lemon and lime <laughs> on the bodies of all the kids he killed. <laughs> How's that? Okay. Um, no. Okay. Alright, let's get back to the story. This next one is, if you're a Turtle fan, I feel like you should be reading this one, Jamie. This one was published in August 22nd, 1925. Entitled, Pancake Loving Turtle, a family heirloom kidnapped from home he visited for years. This is in Brookhaven. I'm guessing maybe Illinois? Not sure. Um, Mrs. Edwards, Mrs. Edwards Rayner... Mrs. Edward Rayner's pet turtle, which came back to her door every day in spring and summer for four years to get pancakes made by a recipe known to her family for 200 years, has been kidnapped and advertised as lost in the current issue of the Brookhaven Advance. Mrs. Rayner, like many other persons of Brookhaven, has made a pet of turtles, especially those who have the initials of her ancestors carved into their shell. And when this particular turtle, which had a large bee on its back, came to the house four years ago, she knew that it had been a pet of the Bartow family, her ancestors who settled here two, two centuries ago, and she took pains to make him welcome. The turtle, a large fellow, immediately showed a fondness for the Bartow pancakes. At first he ate only what Rainer, what the Rainer cat left, but then after Mrs. Rainer saw how much he liked them, she made up a special batch of batter for him and him alone and set them out on a plate at the back door. Every morning he would waddle out to the house to get them, except during strawberry blossom time when Mrs. Rayner knew he was getting sustenance in the strawberry beds. This would continue until early fall, when the first cold snap the turtle would disappear somewhere into the earth and hibernate for the winter. But a week or so ago, after the turtle had gotten his pancakes and waddled off again to whatever turtles do when not eating pancakes, Mrs. Rayner saw an automobile stop, a man reach down to the earth, lift something into his car and drive away. The next day and the next and the day after that, the turtle did not come back for the pancakes. Then Mrs. Rayner inserted the following advertisement into the Brookhaven advance. Lost. If this notice comes to the man who took the turtle, will he please return him to Mrs. Edward Rayner, who fears he will miss his pancakes and also never be able to find his way back to his winter location. I want to only know the turtle is well off, said Mrs. Rayner today. 
If the man doesn't want to return him, I'd be glad to send him a recipe for the pancakes. <laughs> I'm afraid the turtle will miss them and get unhappy. <laughs> so, let's hope that the turtle's still eating pancakes to this day. Because they live a very long time. Yeah. But then, you know, how old was the turtle? Could be. But how was she was she sure that they took the turtle? What if it was just like they were changing a tire or something or they saw something like hard rubbish the, tur- the turtle never came Oh, back. the turtle never came Unless back. someone else made better pancakes. Exactly. But what if it went to like, you know, IHOP, International <laughs> House of Pancakes or something? I don't know if that was around back in the 1900s, but... Yeah. Found its way to Sydney for pancake on the rocks. That's all. <laughs> well, turtles can swim, so... But yeah. So if you're that turtle, feel free to send us an email <laughs> and we will get you on for a healthy serving of pancakes. <laughs> if you're interested. Because um, bar- the B on the back could be for Bryden. Mm, there you go. You've just given everyone away my last name. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's in it well, the show notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. <clears throat> Next one, September 14th, 1899. Parrot was a gas fiend. At last killed his owner... At, la- yeah, at last killed his owner by tearing off Burner while she slept. Whew. Now, I will put a link to this article in the show notes because um, there is a picture of the culprit. Uh, <laughs> a very well He does culprit. not look like a killer. but He's got a top hat. Just a spoiler, <laughs> he's got a top hat. <laughs> and a cane. <laughs> and a very fine jacket. Yes. He looks like very happy. Maybe he, that was his whole shtick. <laughs> he was like, no one's going to suspect a well-dressed parrot of murder. Mm. <laughs> That's correct. Washington, September 13th. Alice Knott, 23 years old, of 803 Twelfth Street. So, oh, 12th Street, so you can go there and visit her if you want. Um, <laughs> Pretty sure she'd be dead, but anyway. Well, she's probably dead because yeah. the parrot killed her, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um came to her death yesterday through the instrumentality of her pet parrot, an evil dispositioned bird who was cordially detested by everyone except his mistress, but who seemed to have a strong affection for her. He would follow her from room to room and was never happy except in her presence. He was generally regarded as a devil by the um, African Americans and as a bird of ill omen by the whites. His unpopularity. That's the word. Unpopularity was increased by an uncanny habit of pulling the tips off the gas burners with his strong beak and inhaling the gas until it stupefied <laughs> him. <laughs> he was a gas fiend, a feathered victim of the gas habit. Wow. Wow. Um, while his young mistress was sleeping yesterday, the parrot took off the lava tip in her room and started. <laughs> On the gas debauch. This time there was no one near to advert the consequences of his deed. When Mrs. Knott's relatives, alarmed by her long silence, broke open the door to, f- and to find her dead, her little murderer was found half unconscious by the door. When he found himself succumbing to the gas and was not rescued as usual by his mistress, he realised that something was wrong and had wit of instinct enough to make it for the door and shove his bill as far as he could underneath it. He recovered, and while the coroner was in the house, the malignant little bird was caught trying to turn on the gas again. <laughs> He's now been incarcerated for 37 years <laughs> in Alcatraz for murder. Would it be murder or would it be manslaughter? 
I mean, because oh yeah, because the death, death, death in the event of a yeah, because he wasn't his intent yeah. wasn't to kill his maybe manslaughter, so maybe he's out now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or dead. Wow. How long do parents live? Wow, that was a crazy one. I can't believe these were actually published in the <laughs> in the New York Times. I feel like you could publish anything, and they'd be like, "No, oh, yeah." Well, the next one's a nice short one. Uh, it was t- from March 14th, 1909. There's a man after my own heart. Lazy man in bed 10 years. Uh, the subtext is, Mumka not sick but refuses to get up, lives a country farm. In Jerseyville, Illinois, March 13, the laziest man in the world lives in this village. His name is John Mumkra. And he has been in bed for 10 years because he is unwilling to comply with the rules of Jersey County County Farm, which say that everyone living there shall rise at 5am. Mumcrow is not strict, sick. He eats regularly and is in perfect health. I'm ready to hold up my hand and swear that he kept his word, said Superintendent Morning of the County Farm. John has been in bed 10 years and he says he will stay there for the remainder of his life. He just lies there and looks up at the ceiling or rolls over once in a while and takes a nap. When he talks, it is all about how foolish a man is to get up every morning when he knows he's going to have to go bed, back to bed late at night. <laughs> Smart man. Is he, though? Living on food <laughs> and naps. Well, he's got people giving him food. Yeah. He's got. He's obviously still living in the house for 10 years, yeah. so he doesn't owe anyone any money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see a problem. So, retirement. Yeah. Early, early retirement, <laughs> and, he, and and they say if you go to that farm, you can still hear him snoring <laughs> in that bed. You, you you have a real um, what's the word? I don't know. Strong belief that people live a long, long, long time. Yeah, I like to believe in people that live a long, long, long time. Because this was nineteen oh nine. Well, I mean, still, <laughs> oh yeah, he'd be like nineteen. No, okay, he's dead. My condolences to the family. <laughs> I apologise. All right, all right, all right. Next one is September 24th, 1900 on the dot. 121 oh, years that's ago. that's my wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Oh, well, I wasn't alive then, but yeah, September 24th. Mm-hmm. There you go. If you meet um, Ant-Man, he might be able to use the <laughs> quantum realm to take you back then and... <laughs> People go, you're an old fellow, what are you doing here? I'm here to celebrate my wedding anniversary 121 <laughs> years from now. 116 <laughs> years in the fut- in the past. Yes. Um, wanted pickles fried. Johnson's desire to vary his diet lands him in Bellevue. Charles R. Johnson, Bangor, Maine, registered at Jagger's 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 Hotel. Jagger's Jagger's. You know, like the move like Jagger. Yeah, got a move like Jagger Hotel, 561 7th Avenue, early in September. Will you have dinner, Mr. Johnson? Asked the clerk. Yes, send some pickles to my room. Later in the day, the new guest ordered a a course supper, two courses of pickles and one of crackers. Johnson remained in the place until yesterday, eating nothing except crackers and pickles. He had frequent... He had frequent conference with the cook, who was the only person about the ho- hotel whom he would notice. Johnson went to the cook yesterday morning, telling him he had a new receipt for pickles, which he desired to have made up. Opening his shirt, Johnson disclosed a wallet 
hanging about his neck by a ribbon. Around it, a t uh, around it tape was rolled, the ends be being held in place by red wax seals. These Johnson broke, and from the wallet he took a paper and began to read. Take some cucumbers, when quite green, from the garden while unseen. Soak them long in salt mush. Add your spices, watch them rust. For same days, let them lie, take them out, in slices fry. That's a dish which one sings. So good it is, is fit for kings. Why, that's nothing but ordinary pickles fried, the cook told him. At this, Johnson became angry and retired to his room. To the proprietor went the cook. He's that crazy, said the cook, that he wants to spoil good pickles by frying them. <laughs> the proprietor spoke to the police policeman on post, Baxter, of the Tenderloin Station House. A Bellevue Hospital ambulance later took Johnson away on the ground that he was afflicted with dementia. For a time, he was unwilling to go, inquiring defiantly. Got any pickles over there? Whole vats of them, he was told. <laughs> Johnson climbed hastily into the ambulance. Wow. And now you can go to any restaurant and ask for fried pickles and it's a staple. Well, so fri fried pickles <clears throat> were was deemed crazy back then? Yeah. Admitting to the asylum because he asked for fried pickles. <laughs> wow. That's... Yeah. Um, Imagine the conversations he'd have with an inmate. What are you in for? Murdered 75 people. What are you in for? Ask for some fried pickles. <laughs> He's, wow. uh, it just makes me like thinking like what if he was the one who invented fried pickles or something like, and it was well, just, like technically, you're crazy that would never work and then and then now you can't go to a, a bar in America or Hooters out here and yeah. it's a staple of the of the order yeah wow well you know maybe he he was the first one maybe maybe the cook's like hold on Let's get him committed. No. Okay, this, this, this is what really happened. Okay. There was... They were, they were partners. Ah, right? here we go. And then he realised how much money he could make from fried pickles. Yeah. So he sent his long-life friend <laughs> to the asylum. Oh, and there he still sits. It's the, it's the um, 1900s version of, you know, social network. <laughs> Well, if you're that man sitting in the asylum, please feel free to write us a letter. I mean, you you would only be 121 years old, but I'm sure you know how to write. You've got nothing but time. Do you have any more recipes? Yeah, more recipes. Look, would be I, great. Am, I am all for recipes in, in poems. Yeah, why because not? Because you'd remember it. You would. Easier to remember. Speaking of remembering, uh, this one's from June 27, 1937. Monster of Loch Ness, now raising a family. London, June 26. It seems there is not merely one, but there are two Loch Ness Monsters, and they have produced a litter of baby monsters. D.B. Wedge, a science teacher at a boys' school, attended the Benedictine Abbey of Fort Augustus, which stands at the head of Loch Ness, told the Sunday Express that he had not seen the, baby's the baby monsters, but several of his pupils had, and the baby monsters were three feet long. Mr. Wedge deplored the sensationalism of the reports, and suggested the use of a diving bell to explore underwater caverns where, fed by warm springs, the last survivors of prehistoric monsters still continued to exist. So, this report is based on school children. <laughs> well. 
if you go to the article at the very bottom, there's a family photo of the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> mummy, mummy monster, daddy monster, and little baby monster. Feel free to check it out in the show notes. But mm. look, I'm a, I'm a I'm a Loch Ness expert. Well, what's this lady in the picture pointing? I am. Um, she's pointing to. She's saying, "Look, everything the light touches is our kingdom." <laughs> And, and the boy and, said, what about the lake? And she goes, no, that's where Loch Ness Monster lives. Well, if you actually look at the picture, the, the boy can't see over the trees. True, there's a tree right... <laughs> he looks like he's standing right in front of a tree. She's like, where's the lake, mummy? She's like, it's over there. Oh, I no, can't it's, see. It's, it's in Scottish. We're, it's, we're, we're offending people by being upper-class English we're in a, Scotland. Um, we're a very visual podcast, too, as you can see. So check out the... But, yeah, look, they haven't, in my investigation skills being reported to be more than one mm. ever grainy photos aside so I don't I think this might just be a little bit of a let's try and get into the paper yeah let's blame it on the kids because they don't know any better I think I'm intrigued now I, I think um, I'll put this on air now and in my mind so I can refer back to it but we should do a, a hoaxes um, conspiracy mm, definitely like episode because if you decide if it's true or fiction we'll take a poll so yes I I I tend not to believe that one unfortunately knowing as much about it made it in the paper it made it to the paper in 1920 something so hats off to them yep 1937 that's when it was yes so that was very interesting oh it was the war was going on wasn't it 30 32 no well you said 37 Did I say 37? Let me have a look. <laughs> Scrolling talk, back up. Talk amongst yourselves. 37, correct. Yeah. Yes. So uh, they're probably bored. Yeah, bored. Nothing to do. Let's create some news that's not war related. So, yeah. Good on them for making it in the Times. <laughs>